Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson and Michael Grumbine. Hey, welcome everybody to this episode of Exploring Tolkien with me, Jonathan Watson, and him, Michael Grumbine. He's waving for all you people on audio. (laughs) Yes, great, fantastic (laughs) audio. (laughs) Well, you know, it's fine. We split it, like we split it between YouTube and here, and the views are definitely get a lot more um, uh, downloads ultimately than we get uh, long-term, than we get views on YouTube. Well, it depends on the video. video. If we put Rings of Power in the title, then boom, we get a ton of... (laughs) a ton of views apparently yeah I, i'm feeling a little like aldarian about that i have to admit which is like if i know that people want it it makes me not want to do it so oh, mm. <laughs> think of it as we, it's 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 we're getting those people we're getting the them to to watch real tolkien fans talk tolkien not the rings of power long term because they'll subscribe and then they'll see that video that piques their interest in who knows in the mariner's wife aldarian and erinus this is our third episode going into that and it's it's the gateway drug. It is that it's, it's it's scratching the itch that you didn't know you had. I I agree with you. Uh, there's just a little bit of the element of the pander stone in this, yeah. and so so I'm I'm uh, I, I resist sometimes, but other times, you know, it is the thing that is being talked about with regard to Tolkien. Right. So we can use it to change to draw people to good stuff. Right. Yes, is, absolutely. I agree. And if we want to draw people to good stuff, please give us a review on apple podcasts and you can completely ignore google podcasts because they're shutting it down uh so anyway yeah apple podcast spotify we'd really appreciate that that uh that tells more people that there's a great podcast to listen to with tolkien fans with great members too in our membership community uh which you can get to by going to the one week.com slash members um and uh we've got some great thoughts we we like the freeloaders but our members are the best (laughs) that's true 100%. Hundred uh, percent, and we got some great thoughts. Uh, particularly, Harrison put together some interesting information last week. We talked about the like, is there an autobiographical notion, or is it was Tolkien writing what he knew based on his relationship with his family and his wife? Like, is there something in there? And and there always is in some way, but how much of that is in there? And so he kind of looked it up and um, had some thoughts about that. About how did how how Tolkien and Edith related. And how Tolkien related to folks like C.S. Lewis and how Edith related to Tolkien based on his relationship with C.S. Lewis. So there's some interesting stuff in there. We're going to talk about that. Um, and then we're also going to take a look at in our extended podcast. Just go to laundry.com slash member, $4 a month, guys. It's free for the first month. We've gotten a few this week and uh, we're always happy to get more. The, the Discord chat is growing. So yeah, head over there. We're also going to talk about how um, h- how it seems that Tolkien writes more from uh, an omniscient perspective from Erendis. Mandy made this interesting point. As she read the whole thing, like we hear more about Erendis's thoughts than Aldarion's thoughts. And so we'll yeah. see if, do we, do we think that's true or not? Or we'll kind of like dive into that a little bit. So if you want to hear more, it's about 15, 20 minutes longer, usually our extended podcast, just go to the one readcom slash member, become a member and get it in your podcast app on your phones. Uh, or you can see it uh, in our um, members only YouTube section, which you can get to by just becoming a member. So I like that yeah. observation. Yeah, it's good. It, it'll be a good uh, discussion. But, to oh, yeah, yeah. Don't talk about it now. <laughs> must be silent. Stay on target. Uh, yeah. Stay yeah. on target. So let's jump into it. Uh, because Harrison, in our in our Discord chat, he made those, uh, he looked into that autobiographic nature of of this whole, the whole idea of Aldarian and Erendis and the, the relationship they had. I kind of, and, and we talked about where this came from. I decided to do some research. So I got my big old books out i don't think there are kindle versions of this yet so i can't like do do a nice quick uh uh search through the entire text of the book but uh For all you listeners he's holding up the oh thank you compendium. see this whole audio video thing is still hard for me i don't know how to how do how do we get by in life okay so Tolkien yeah the, the companion and guide Tolkien companion guide the the chronology and the reader's guide i use both of these here because in the chronology we learn when tolkien wrote it uh, but we also learned from Tom Shippey in The Road to Middle-earth that there's a similarity he, he pointed out to this. And, and, and I don't think we'll get to this part yet in the book here. It'll be probably next week. Where Erendis says to Aldarion, right, that um, 
the bleeding of sheep is sweeter to her ears than the mewing of gulls. Um, and this this reminded him, because, you know, Tom Shippey, right, one of the preeminent Tolkien scholars wrote, uh, what is it, uh, J.R. Tolkien, author of the century. He wrote The Road to Middle Earth. Did he write something else? I'm sure he's written. I'm sure he's written. A he's written a number of things, but he yeah. is he is one of the easily one of the top two or three rings and scholars in the world. So you know, yeah. that's his cap for sure too. That's a gold star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in this story, it's also from the the Prose Edda by Snorri Sturluson, and this is the same thing that inspired Tolkien to come up with um, like the Children of Hurin. Uh, the story of Kalervo, I believe in that is very similar. So there was an inspiration there. Right? Um, in the poetic Edda, the same Norse mythology, all the names of the dwarves came from there. Fili, Kili, Nori, Ori. And then also the name Gandalf came from there. So clearly Tolkien had a really good understanding of this, um, uh, of these, of these stories and this poetry. And so there is the story in the prose Edda of the sea god, Niort and Skatha, the daughter of the mountain giant, they were obliged to marry, and they tried taking turns to live in, to live in each other's homes, one in the sea, one in the mountains. But the marriage was here, and Niort complains, "Hateful to me were the mountains. I was there no longer than nine nights. The howling of wolves seemed ugly to me against the song of the swans." And Skatha replies with a complaint about the noise of the sea mews. Uh, so I thought, oh, well, that's I'm sure Tolkien thought about that when he wrote this year there's there's like he knew that too well to say that's just a coincidence that 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 even that phrase the uh the mewing of the gulls so uh yeah that that that's where that's that's you know nice like this but if tom shippy makes that point i would say that he probably has enough to say like he's if he's going to publish this there's some some confidence behind that as a uh as a point of inspiration for tolkien all right so that's number one Number two is I'm going to read this little section from the J.R. Tolkien Companion and Guide about when Tolkien wrote this, just so that we have a better idea. Uh, and this is what it wrote. This unfinished work, uh, Aldarian and Erinus, was probably written in 1960. A sketch of a Numenorean helmet with an, with an inscription referring to Aldarian's Guild Adventurers is dated March 1960. A redrawn version was reproduced on the dust jacket of the first British and... American editions of Unfinished Tales. So this was actually from the Guild of Adventurers, a sketch of Numenor Helmet with the inscription referring to Aldarian's Guild of Adventurers. Right there, what you can see on the screen for all those yep. of you looking. That's what looking. It is very down. colorful and very odd looking. Um, not practical. It's very. It's ornamental. It's it's highly yeah. ornamental from a from a from a fighting perspective. This is not a. This is not something that was made to fight in, but. Um, it looks like some strange sea creature, actually. I will I will try and remember to put a link to the image of the helmet in the show notes. So I'm writing a note for myself so that the folks listening can just click on the, click on the show notes, look for the link, and I'll upload it uh, to the website so you can take a look. All right, so that's point number one. Point number two. Well, can I just okay. say about point number one? I really yeah. appreciate that because I did not realize that helmet was from was a sketch from the Guild of Venturers. Yeah, me neither. Which, I didn't... Which is yeah. awesome because I've never liked that helmet and I felt a little <laughs> guilty about not liking that helmet. And it's... now I know it belongs to the the murder hobos inside in, in, in Tolkien's Numenor. And so this all fits. It's great. I'm, yeah. I'm happy with it. <laughs> all right. Then he wrote... Th then uh, they make this point in the uh, J.R. Tolkien Companion Guide. Tolkien began but left unfinished five sometimes contradictory texts which, as he wrote, tended to move from analytic plot outlines to full narr narrative. The fifth text, which extends for some 60 manuscript pages, has the title The Shadow of the Shadow, The Tale of the Mariner's Wife, and The Tale of Queen Shepherdess. Hmm. The Shadow of the Shadow. Now that's like... Uh, the Shadow would be Sauron. The Shadow of the Shadow would be the perhaps the discontent, the sowing of seeds, right? Is that the shadow that's being cast right there? Anyway, that's a really interesting title. Maybe we'll talk about that more too. All right, third paragraph, last section from, from this book. A typescript was made from this, um, and, at and at some time after Jan January 1965, Tolkien began a new typescript filling out the schematic beginning, but abandoned it after only two pages. This has the title, Indus e Kiramo, The Mariner's Wife, A Tale of Ancient Numenor, which tells of the first rumor of the shadow. 
Tolkien made a few notes and wrote some unconnected fragments of text for the unwritten part of the story, mainly concerning Ancalime in later life. And I think we'll get to that once we hear the, uh, what was that last section called? It's called the uh, additional, see, I don't remember it. Further very notes. Long, further notes. Yeah. Uh, unconnected fragments of text for the unwritten part of the story, mainly concerning Ancalime in later life, but little more about Aldarion and Arendans. Christopher Tolkien notes that the work needed a considerable amount of editorial rehandling to prepare it for publication. So making it readable was Christopher Tolkien's job um, right. for most of what we get in the histories of Middle-earth too. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that was his life's work. I mean, just piecing yeah. these things together and putting it in a way which made sense um, because obviously Tolkien's style was very uh, much like seeds scattered in a field where ideas would pop up in different places and, you know, zoom out and at a, at a certain distance after a certain amount of growth, you could call it all a single field, but until then it's these ideas popping up all over the place. And that, that section, which you reference is called the further course of the narrative. The further is, course of the narrative. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get to that in two new, two more episodes. So yeah. from, from now. All right. So there you have it. That's, that's when it was written somewhere. It was, it came together between 1960 and 1965. He abandoned it. Then he started something. And I think I'm sure the idea of the success of the Lord of the Rings was already there, right? 1965. It was definitely a thing. And so he was being pressed by publishers to come up with something else. I'm sure he wanted to come up with something else. He tried writing a sequel to the Lord of the Rings, uh, the rise of the shadow, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And, um, and abandoned that after just a few pages too. And I'm sure this was one of the things, okay, well, if we're going to do the rise of the shadow, then what if we did the rise of the shadow like originally in the second age? And so he started this and then abandoned it too. It'd be really interesting to hear why he abandoned these things. What was the, what was the driving point behind it that, that he said, ah, I can't do it anymore. Um, yeah. To me, that feels like a kind of artistic question you only Tolkien could answer that absolutely yeah that's why it'd be nice to ask him yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe someday <laughs> um all right okay so there you have it, everybody maybe we should have done that the first episode but i kind of like going into it blind and learning a little bit more and now we oh, can that's fantastic good it. work um all right so let's take a look at the wedding the engagement and the wedding of aldarian and erendis right so for those that have the um, newest, I think, 2018, 2019 ver uh, version, which I'm working off of, this is page 202 to 207 that we're covering today. And it is during the betrothal, we're picking up where we left off. So starts with they're betrothed, but it's dragging out. It's dragging on. And so they haven't actually had the wedding. And then we're going to finish today with the wedding, which has takes up a couple pages of the of the text. So when I was looking at it, just to roll it out mentally or visually for our listeners, um, this takes place in basically a number of sections. There's three conversations or moments that happen. One moment followed by two conversations that Aldarian has, one with his father, Tarmenaldur, and one with Arendis. And then following those three moments, two conversations, um, he... Uh, goes on a six-year voyage, comes back from the voyage and has a heart-to-heart -heart with Arendis, where basically he says, I won't blame you if you leave me, because because he realizes how much he sucks <laughs> in, in, what, in, in, in what he does, in what yeah. he's done to her. And uh, and and this we did mention one aspect of this, which is the frost-bitten and withered um, branch um, that they always tie to ships when they're sailing out and that always stays fresh from the ocean spray, but for the first time ever referenced, um, it has died. So um, she does not reject him. And so that leads us to the final section of this reading tonight, which is the wedding itself. And the wedding is much focused. They give one paragraph to the wedding with regard to the Numenorians. And then they talk for nearly two pages about what happens with the Eldar who come into the wedding. So, so it is it is kind of interesting, uh, Tolkien's focus. And I think that's on purpose. I think I think Tolkien is trying to tell us something. So, let's go to the three moments at the beginning, which are moment number one. I wanted to read the core passage, and this is so Aldarian and Arendis are betrothed. It's been a number of years, three years, I believe, right? Yeah, they said so. They were betrothed in eight fifty eight of the Second Age, and mm. the the. Uh, Tolkien wrote that um, 
three years is considered the limit, essentially, for the time it would take to get married after being betrothed. Everyone expects a marriage within three years after being betrothed, and they don't right. do it. Right. And so it's been three years. Ultimately. So it's been three years. And but, but, but before that, we are told more about the uh, Guild of Murder Hobos, I mean, the Guild of Ventures. Um, and <laughs> nice. so so we're told that they really, really were tired. Two funny things. One, not so funny, is just, you know, they're sort of um, at wit's end because their leader isn't hasn't gone out to sea for 15 years. And um, and so they're they're kind of pushing on Aldarian. Please, please set up another venture out into the ocean, out into the seas. Aldarian you know, kind of plays into that. He doesn't, he doesn't launch it yet, but he's, he, the idea is setting hold in him. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other, fu the funny thing, which we're told, um, which is that moreover, timber was become scarce in the shipyards for Aldarian neglected the forests <laughs> and the venturers besought him to turn again to this work. So they're running out of lumber. They can't build ships. What's funny to me about this is this is an island nation, and apparently only Aldarian knows how to set up lumber, <laughs> lumber yards. Like this he was, massive island man, nation. His fire, man. You know, he's a he's a mover and a shaker, just like we yeah. talked about last week. He's the guy who makes things happen. And if nobody's there telling the people, let's plant the dang trees, guys. Nobody yep. apparently has the wherewithal to do it. Okay, so he's really good at that. There's a funny moment at the end of this reading, which I'm going to reference, which is. Aldarian is the classic, you know, there's that classic saying to a carpenter, everything looks like a nail. Uh -huh. So to Aldarian, everything looks like timber for his ships. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going with that. I can't. Yeah, so that we'll, we'll get there. All right. So, but he, the, the, the moment that I wanted to talk about, the first moment is he's traveling to Arendis's home. And they're, they've been betrothed three years and everyone expects, okay, now he's going to talk about setting up the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And he's on there. And something happens. He comes up over a rise, essentially, and sees the ocean. And I, I'm calling attention to this because Tolkien is giving credit to Arendis's view of the battle between her and the sea. Um, Aldarian comes over a rise, and the language Tolkien used to describe what happens to him when he sees the sea is the same kind of language that people might use to describe, mm. like, love at first sight. So, so... So here's what he says. A west wind was blowing. Oh, I'm sorry. As he came to the top of the great bluff that stood out from the land and sheltered the haven from the north, he turned and looked back over the sea. A west wind was blowing, as often at that season, beloved by those who had a mind to sail to Middle Earth. And white crested waves marched towards the shore. Then suddenly the sea longing took him as though a great hand had been laid on his throat and his heart hammered and his breath stopped. He strove for the mastery and at length turned his back and continued on his journey. And by design, he took his way through the wood where he had seen Arendis riding as one of the Eldar now 15 years gone. So it's almost like he's like, I got to see her. I got to see her. This is like, but that language of a hand at his throat and his heart yeah. hammering and his breath stopping. And he has, he has to fight for a mastery of himself. That's like the language of being struck by romantic love and beauty. And which is exactly the way Arendis would put it because the ocean is the sea is her rival for yeah. his heart i love the line a west wind was blowing as often at that season beloved by those who had a mind to sail to middle earth and white crested waves marched towards the shore and for this when i read that the first vision i had was of like that slow motion girl like uh you know swing your head and her hair goes back and it's in the ocean and you're like oh look there's there's that beautiful no it's actually just the ocean but it's <laughs> the west wind blowing yeah uh, most of us it would be you know it would be um the uh the opposite sex that would be the one calling us forth but no here it's the waves of the ocean cresting not the, the but hair they are wind. but they they are a female rival like they they, they oh they yes have, yes they have a female character weenin is the one that that's always referenced um and so so um so anyway so it, no talk of wedding happens because essentially it's it's implied that it's because yeah. Aldarian has been hammered by the ocean and he's in love with it again and he has to leave and 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 so um the next thing the next moment is the discussion between himself and Tar Menaldor. so and and we're actually told at the beginning of this discussion that unlike previous times they were at length, when the next year came in, the king called him to his chamber, and they were at ease together, and the love they bore one another was no longer clouded. So, in other words, things are good now between Tar mm -hmm. and his son, even though his son's like uh, over the three years he's been pro. And that ends up being the point. Tar says, Hey, 
when am I going to get the daughter that I'm looking forward to? In other words, when, when her daughter-in-law, I'm, I'm, yeah, obviously yeah, what's being right. applied. And, and um, then comes this very interesting back and forth. And I call it interesting because Tolkien does not seem to give us the impression, at least too strongly, that one side is right and the other is wrong. Um, the reasons that um, mm. Aldarian gives his father for going to the ocean have a logic to them. They're not terrible things. They're not like, oh yeah, I've just been mastered and I I, I can't help myself. And I, it it. I mean, he does say something like that, but he gives reasons and he says, um, you know, his father uses <laughs> leaning back on the um, sea as a woman theme. His father says. Uh, you are, but you are betrothed, and by the laws of Numenor and the right ways of the Eldar and the Adain, a man shall not have two wives. <laughs> you cannot <laughs> wed the sea, for you are affianced, uh, which is a word that I understand, but I've never recalled <laughs> say out loud seen before um, <laughs> right. or using before. Um, you are affianced to Erendis. Then Eldarion's heart was hardened, for these words recalled his speech with Arendis as they passed through Amerie, and he thought, but untruly, that she had consulted with his father. So he goes into the paranoid mode. It was ever his mood, if he thought that others combined to urge him on some path of their choosing to turn away from it. And that was what I was referencing when I about the rings of power. It's like, like I, I there's a little bit of me in that. Like, if I feel like everyone oh, wants okay. you to talk about rings of power, I'm like, yeah. no, I no, don't want to talk right. about rings of power now. It's like, like when your kids come up to you and they're all start asking you to do something. You're like, no, you're not allowed <laughs> exactly. to because all of you have some sort of ulterior motive and it's probably not good for <laughs> you. So we should stop doing it on here. <laughs> And he, but, but here's the reason that Eldari next to gifts. Smiths may smithy and horsemen ride and miners delve when they are betrothed, said he. Therefore, why may not mariners sail? I mean, look, that's not a bad argument. He is a mariner. I mean, that's yeah. what, he, what he's, and, and he hasn't sailed for 15 years. So, but is he a mariner? That's not what his father mm, says, right? His father says, go. like, you're, you're, um, uh, let me let me get this right. It's it's above this, isn't it? Um, it's right right below is right below it. Okay, yeah. The king's heir is not a mariner by trade, nor is he under necessity. So right. he's like, you need to be here, and you're going to be the king. I have to I have to grant you the scepter. This is I'm not going to die and just leave it to him. I have to grant it to you. And when you're gone, you know that that it, that doesn't happen. Like the exactly the, the line of Numenor won't properly be passed right he's pointing out that you may love the ocean but that's not your responsibility your responsibility is is other and it's right. here and if people do if a, a married man does have to go to the ocean it's by necessity and you don't have that necessity right and aldarian then responds to that he says there are other needs than livelihood that drive a man in other words i he just he raises his love of the sea to a need now it's a yeah. need and he says it's not a need that I that I have to do to provide for my family because I'm 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 not a mariner in that sense, um, but it's still a need. He's implying, and there are yet many years to spare. And his father's like, well, for you maybe, yeah. but uh, Arendis. It, it says you take your. Mendel Dewar says you take your grace for granted. Arendis has shorter hope than you, and her years wane swifter. So this is this is a reference directly to the fact that the line. Um, from Elros um, is long lived and longer lived than the men, the other men of Numenor. Yeah. At this point, Erendis is about 90 years old. Uh, yep, mm -hmm. 90 years old. And Aldarian is about 160 years old. It, but for a 90 year old woman, as we'll see from her wedding description, she's beautiful. So she's, so this is clearly, although her years may not be as long as, as Aldarian's, because we know. Mm -hmm. From our first episode, that literally all of Aldarian's descendants die within a ten-year period at four hundred years old. <laughs> They're all between three hundred and ninety-nine and four hundred and ten years old. Literally, yeah. every single yeah. one of them lives. Yeah. So he's he's got a four hundred-year lifespan ahead of him, um, and well, ahead of him, I guess he has two hundred and forty years left. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, but she clearly doesn't have that much, um, even though to us ninety years old seems like she's old, but she's clearly not yeah essentially he 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 is born almost 100 years before her and he dies 100 years after her mm -hmm. so um, she has literally half his life half his life mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, and then his father says, so his father's saying, no, no, you don't have that many years. You take your grace for granted. And then Eldarion uses a time argument. She's like, well, when I was pursuing her, she waited, she held me off for 12 years. I'm not even looking for a third of that. So he's, what he's implying there is I got to go to the ocean and I'll be back in four years or less. Yeah. It's like <laughs> your track record is not so good, Al. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like I don't think anybody at that point is going to believe him. He's like, I'm only going to be gone two years. No, it's, it's, it's fine. And then his father's comeback is a line, and so this is like a back and forth. This is like a debate about marriage, and the, and it really boils down to a very modern conceit, actually, which is hmm. I can marry when I wish is the modern conceit. Hmm. Versus his father's view is you, and and we see it with the royals. Like for those, again, for those of you who've who've watched, you know, The Crown or Victoria or anything, their their life is not their own. And and his father says um, to him, "She was not then betrothed," said Menildor, "But neither of you are now free. And if she held back, I doubt not that it was in fear of what seems now likely to befall if you cannot master yourself." So he's kind of like poking him, like, "Hey." You're not free. You have a responsibility to the kingdom and to her. And um, she was scared about this moment because it looks like you can't master yourself in the face of the sea. And you are beholden. He finishes, you are beholden as I judge. Now, those words coming from the king have more weight than if a rando said it to you or a friend, yeah. merely a friend. So um, so then Aldarian gets angry and says, basically implies that um, his father is trying to parlay on behalf of Arendis, which we um, Tolkien has told us is incorrect, but that's what Aldarian thinks. And so he says, I'm going to go have this conversation with her. So he does. <laughs> the, uh, I think Menildur is, it looks back at this and he's like, I had some wins in my relationship with you. You are now, you know, we, 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 we made you the originally the lord of the harbor and the ships. Can't remember mm-hmm. the exact title. Uh, you are the yeah. You're the you're the successor now. You committed to it. I expect your commitment to be valid. And right. his response here is like you're you're actually breaking this agreement by doing this now. Like this is not this is you're not holding on to the responsibility that you are to have as a king. And so I think that the line that's most important here is the king's heir is not a mariner by trade, nor is he under necessity, because you are the king's heir, right? That that's ninety percent of who you are at this point. You've you've agreed to that, and anything else comes second. And so that ninety percent of that—that's getting married and and having an heir. Uh, and that's where I think his like, I you said you know neither of them is right. I think Middledore is is really more still here in the right. I think the the fieriness of Aldarian's personality still comes through in this here is that he's unable to separate what his father says that he holds ill against him from what Erendis might have said. And, and to, anything that keeps him from the sea, anything that does that, uh, there's ill intent in that. Yeah, uh, I do think I do think there's more to him than just the love of the sea, um, because and, and we have some other parts in the script in the in the in the reading today to to reference in that regard. But I do think um, what I what I meant by that was uh, Meldor very clearly represents the old hierarchy and the way the sense of you you have a responsibility Mm -hmm. that's above your desires i mean if this was a 1980s movie um they would you know aldarian um would be like out with the boom box in front of her house um you know playing footloose (laughs) um and so (laughs) because what's celebrated in the modern world is do what you want Mm -hmm. you know Nobody mm-hmm. puts baby in a corner. I, mean, I know I'm mixing all my. I'm throwing <laughs> <in the laughs> your movie place. references are really movie references all like, over the yeah, place. Yeah. But but, yeah, but may the force that, be with. We'll disturb him. <laughs> <in the future. laughs> but I, I'm talking about like a love from a love story situation. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 final law that cannot be broken in the modern mind with love, and and weddings and but is is whatever the people who are in love want. That's what's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. But here we're we're shown that ver- that vision, like because what. Anarian, uh, Anarian, sorry, Aldarian wants is he wants um, Arendis, but on his own terms. He wants mm-hmm. to have the ocean and have her. And um, and uh, what Menildur is showing is is standing for here is the responsibility. It's love and responsibility, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. not just um, love and whatever you feel like doing and spending your days doing, which is on a ship. 
So, so, yeah, and, uh, it's, and it's not whatever he feels like doing for him. It's the, like you, you, you said earlier, it's the love of the sea. It's his other, it's his mistress. Um, and that's what calls to him. And so I think when he says to, when he goes into Erendis, uh, and he's, and, uh, and she's, she thought he was going to, you know, come there and, uh, uh, propose or say love the wedding he finally says he agrees to it he says um um it shall be now it shall be before this year is done and i can see him getting all excited and he's starting to like his eyes gaze off in the distance and he's having these visions and then he says and then i will fit out such a ship as the venturers made never yet a queen's house on the water and you shall sail with me Erendis, under the grace of the valor of yavana and orome whom you love you shall sail to lands where i shall show you such woods as you have never seen where even now the Eldar sing, or forests wider than Numenor, free and wild since the beginning of days, where you still may hear the great horn of Orome the Lord. He's like, got these great visions, right? He's like, the two loves of my life together in the same place. This is this is perfect. This is great. And then she says, nay, Eldarian. <laughs> but Arendis wept. <laughs> That's so brutal. Like it, it, I, I like I, I know the feeling that he has where like you have all these things and then somebody's like, No, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> and you're like, Wow, oh, crash and burn. You just <laughs> like the heart is ripped out of you. The 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 passion is the fire there is it's just doused, and all that's left is a smoking ember that you can't rekindle. It's hard to get that. And so and at this, but this is the moment. This is the moment where I think Tolkien makes it absolutely explicit that this is going to be the most tragic, not the most tragic, but is going to be a tragic love's tale story mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they have a great love for each other, but they are inherently incompatible in that sense because, in the sense, because she says to him, and alas, if for love of you I took ship, I should not return. It is beyond my strength to endure and out of sight of land I should die. The sea hates me, and now it is revenge that I kept you from it and yet fled from you. So we're we're shown Aldarian, who cannot help himself. He has this tremendous longing for the sea. And we're shown Arendis, who won't even go on a boat because she's <laughs> she, she's gonna die, as she says, yeah. if if she does. So so it, I mean, this is like fire and water falling in love with each other so so it is it is it's fascinating and it is it does seem to be that kind of tragic love story that tolkien is trying to build here i i like that the next line is that aldarian was abashed for he had spoken in less anger to his father so now she spoke with love and she didn't say i love you oh you make me feel so good she's letting love means her expressing love was letting him go back to the ocean Right, letting him go back to the sea. That was the way she loved him right there. Um, and so from her perspective, you know, and she was doing the right thing in order to let the man she loved go go experience great things. The problem is, is her love language is quality time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when he says he's gone for two years, it actually becomes and six. Quality time and sheep, apparently. And we'll <laughs> learn it's sheep. Nah. <laughs> but um, yeah he, so he said he claimed he was going to be gone for less than four and he comes back now he's got some good excuses apparently but at least in his own mind but uh <laughs> but he does she lets him go he hangs out for a year i mean like everything with numenorians is on a longer time frame he's like yeah fine i won't go and it's like a year passes another year and then finally he goes yeah. and he's gone for six years and it says on his return, six years and more passed before Aldarion returned to Numenor. He found even Almarion the queen colder and welcome. So the you know the, his mother that he ra has wrapped around his finger, as his father has referenced earlier, um, mm -hmm. even she's cold to him. Yeah. And everyone thinks uh, everyone hates the the guild of murder. Hope, I mean the guild of ventures um, because they think that that that, that Aldarion has done ill of Arendis. And he has. I mean, essentially, mm -hmm. that's, that's mm -hmm. like, you're betrothed to be married, and the time has come to be married, yeah. according to the custom of your people, and your father's made it clear it's your responsibility, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to take a year to mope, and then I'm going to go on a six-year voyage. Yeah, yeah. Think, uh, think of it this way, husbands. You're at work, and you tell your wife, honey, I'll be home at six. And then six comes, and then seven, and then eight, and then nine, and then 10 
and finally you're home at 10.30. You haven't called, you haven't done anything. What's the reaction you're going to get after four and a half hours of complete silence and uh, a promise that was not kept? But right. multiply now, that by four years. Now imagine you did that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, over and over again over the last 80 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not not a good look um, for Aldarian. Um, and But he has a story of the thing that's never happened, which shows us that not only is it not a good look for Aldarian in the eyes of his mother, not only is it not a good look in the eyes of his people, not only is it not a good look in the eyes of Arendis, but it is not a good look in the eyes of the Valar. Mm -hmm. So we return to this. Tolkien uses a branch, a kind of uh, branch from a tree. Um, Oilaire. Oirolaire. 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 Yeah, there you go. Oirolaire. Yeah, I had to research. Is that not what I said? I thought I was. Yeah, you know. Maybe it wasn't. I just want to so oil. I have to I have to correct you whether you were right or wrong. Oyolaire. So <laughs> oyolaire, which is this branch of like a seven-letter word with two consonants in it and five vowels. So you all try it yourself at home and so where no one's mocking you. And and oyolaire is supposedly always going to be kept fresh. It's tied at the bow of the ship, and it's and the ocean spray keeps it fresh no matter how many months you're mm -hmm. gone, or in Aldarian's case, years, and it's mm -hmm. never died. In, in previous voyages, this time the oil and the oil oil laire was is supposed to be a sign of the Valar's grace and blessing, mm -hmm. and now um, his six year voyage being over, it ended up in the far north in the frigid ocean in the frigid um, seas uh, and ice because of the of terrible weather, but uh, and the oil oil laire um, does in fact wither and die, mm -hmm. and. Um, mm -hmm for the first time ever, which we, I think, are meant to see as the Valar, him losing the grace of the Valar with regard to that. So um, he tells Arendis, I won't blame you if you leave me. I understand because I suck. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she says, um, basically, it's true, but I won't leave you. And then they get really happy and they're like, let's let then let spring and summer now begin and let uh, winter not return so the endorphins they haven't experienced over the last six years finally kick in and they're like in. let's do it all right and they get Go. married so last section they're married um there's a huge party they take what is essentially like a year or a, not a year um, a three month wedding is that how long it was parade well it said they they had the wedding in spring and in, in midsummer they were they were in mm. um adunier they rode um, through leisure through all the isle until midsummer day so they kind of tour yep so that's it's at least a couple months mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and and uh that's where in adunier which is the northwestern arm of the star of numenor geographically um in adunier they um, are going to have the actual wedding, um, or actually, what does it say? The last feast was prepared by Valandiel, its lord. And then, so in Adunier, at this last great feast of the summer, of the, uh, at midsummer, they look out their window and Aldarian points out that the elves have come. And mm -hmm. unlike the rings of power, they haven't come to take their jobs. They've come. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> they've, yeah. come, they've come bearing gifts. I'll I'll show folks where Andunie is on the screen. There you go. It's right here, all the way on the left. Andunie. Yes. So they went from. They did a whole tour, and they ended up over there. Right. So, they probably did a. It wasn't probably just a straight line. Straight line. Well. No, no, no. That's that's it was uh, probably a tour of the Isles. I'm not sure what that line means I mean, here. Yeah. In this here. Oh, that's a road. So that's, that's a, what the road is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the that's the short, quickest path, but. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, there's a um, a lot of space. Tolkien gives almost more than a page to the elves, um, and and not specific elves because not a specific elf was named, which is interesting. Um, and and that's in my mind, that's because the focus isn't on the character of the isn't on mm -hmm. the um, the personages of the elves like Gilgalad or anything. It's on the elves in their relation to the Numenorians, and what do the elves, the elves are bringing something different, a different way of looking at things. And so they've sailed across the ocean 
And what have they brought with them as the grand gifts? Or is it is it fine a fine weapons or arms or a tapestry, something glorious and regal? No. They've sailed across the ocean and they've brought them flowers. So and birds. And two birds. So so their gift and a tree, a, a young sapling, um, a ton of flowers. And they mention Eleanor, which is one of the most famous flowers in uh, Middle Earth, because, of course, it's the carpet underneath um, in in um, uh, outside of at uh, uh, Lorien. What's the name of that hill? What's the name of the hill? Darn it. Uh, um, but anyway, it's outside Karas uh, Karas Galathon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but it's it's got a name anyway. It's the it's it's the tree underneath the great tree, and and the fellowship sees it, and the ground is carpeted with Eleanor, and um, and so anyway, they bring Eleanor and Louisan, uh, these flowers from Middle Earth, and and uh, ultimately from Valinor, and uh, and they bring a tree, a young sapling, and I'm going to describe that, and this is our. It, to a carpenter, everything's a hammer moment. <laughs> I love this. I love this line. Many gifts the Eldar brought also. To Aldarion, they gave a sapling tree whose bark was snow white and its stem straight, strong, and pliant as it were of steel, but it was not yet in leaf. Now that's fascinating, by the way, before I move on to, to notice that so its its stem was straight, strong, and pliant as of steel. So this is a this is not a normal tree. Like a, a tree that is compared to steel in, in its strength is mm-hmm. even as a sapling is pretty impressive. So did they? Do we know the name of this tree? Uh, it doesn't say the name, but clearly it's the white tree, right? It's it's a it's well, a. Oh, it is right. Yeah, but sorry, of course. Uh, I was I was looking for it here because we got the names. That that's interesting because he doesn't even mention it right here. No, he doesn't. I mean. Partly, probably doesn't. Mean, I mean, I I would think maybe he doesn't mention it because I this mean, is an un, unfinished tale. If this had ever been published, he probably yeah. would have injected it. Um, that's my thought, anyway. But anyway, this is I believe this is the white tree that becomes the great the white Nimloth. tree of Numenor. Nimloth? Right? Nimloth is the name of the tree of Numenor, right? Yes. Um, so that was brought as a gift from the Eldar from Tol Erse in the form of seedling from Celeborn as a symbol of friendship between the two races. So I don't think it's the white tree. Well, does it say when it was brought? Because that might be a reference to this. Maybe mm-hmm. it was Celeborn that brings it. Remember, it doesn't tell us who the elves were, but they're clearly going to be uh, elf lords and pe- personages. It just doesn't focus on who they are in this one. So yeah. I don't, I don't know that those two passages are contradictory. They might be referring to this. This is one of those things where we where we learned earlier where there were a lot of notes, and <laughs> and I'm sure Christopher Tolkien is trying to, to. I mean, this is something he probably looked at and was like, "Is this the tree?" Should, is this like an idea he had for the tree and then it changed a little bit, right? So these are where Tolkien never came down and said, I'm writing the definitive edition of exactly everything in Numenor and where the tree came from and all the weddings and everything like that. So Christopher Tolkien had to figure it out. And here we're not, we're left with the idea that I guess this is the tree, but it is it really? Maybe not. I yeah, Exactly. We don't know for sure. I like to think it is. So, but now we're going to get to the comedy moment. I thank you, said Aldarion to the elves. The wood of such tree must be precious indeed. So he's immediately reduced it to lumber in his mind. He's like, um, it's a nice tree, but the wood is precious indeed. Maybe. We know not, they said. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> like, uh, like, I think they're more like, maybe. <laughs> and they, they explain themselves. They say, none has ever been hewn. It bears cool leaves in the summer and flowers in the winter. It is for this that we prize it. So clear contrast between Aldarion, the everything to me is fuel <laughs> for my ships. And and you know, he's like a dwarf in that sense. Like, you know, and a little bit a little bit like a little bit of those uh Aule vibes. Um nevertheless they will need <laughs> wood <No>. for their <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless the dwarves will need wood. Yes. Um, um it... so are these are these elves from the east or from the west? Do we know? Uh, we don't. We don't, know. right? So we don't even know. Like these could be elves from Valinor, from Tolarsay, from from uh, the Undying Lands. Perhaps wow, you're right. Because I was just reading through it again, and I, I I assumed because of his relationship with the elves of Gilgalad and his his relationship with 
that whole kingdom over there that they were from there. But Tolkien never says. And perhaps because of these gifts that were so unique, like the birds, we never hear of any other birds. And that was the other thing in, in this section is the birds are so unique. When we think yes. of Tolkien and birds, we think of the eagles of Manway. We don't think of, of songbirds song right. that are that are betrothed to each other and then can be dedicated to another couple in, in love, so to speak. Um, right. And they're unique, right? They, they never sing the same song. They, they never have the same thrill of song together, right? They never repeat through a long thrill of song. And so there's such unique birds that we'll, we'll learn far more about. Um, and it makes me think if I had to, I want to think that these are the elves coming from the West. These are the, I like that idea. I did not, I did not consider that. That's fantastic. I really like that idea. And I, I will read the paragraph about Arendis's first reaction to the birds. That night, Arendis awoke, and a sweet fragrance came through the lattice. But the night was light, for the full moon was westering. Then leaving their bed, Arendis looked out and saw all the land sleeping in silver, but the two birds sat side by side upon her sill. Hmm. So that's just poetic. Like, mm -hmm. there's no... There's, I mean, it's there's going to be a little bit of foreshadowing about things with birds, but but what we have here is just this poetic, artistic moment. I can see Tolkien loved to paint the scenes and places in his mind. I can see him like painting this image of the land in silver and this tower looking out over the land and and uh, the birds in silver sitting on the sill with the full moon westering. It is a beautiful image. It's uh, Tolkien mm -hmm. and his prose. Um, Man, the guy never, even when his tales were unfinished, they're beautiful. Yeah. I want Ted Naismith to this painting Ooh, looking out that the window. Be, that would be that's super fun. Maybe I should put together a uh, GoFundMe to, 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 <laughs> to get that to pay for it. And then I'll, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I'll just read the last paragraph. This is where we're ending, guys. When the feasting was ended, Aldarion and Erendis went home for a while, or went for a while to her home. And the birds yet again perched upon the silver window, right? No cage, no nothing. They just follow them around. Mm -hmm. At length, they bade Beragar and Nuneth farewell. That's uh, Erendis' parents. And they rode okay. back at last to Armenelos. Uh, for there, by the king's wish, his heir would dwell. And a house was prepared for them amidst a garden of trees. It makes you wonder if some of the trees might have been from the sapling. Or at least there was one. There, oh, there the elven tree was planted and the elven birds sang in its boughs. So that's a nice... That's, it ends on such a high note right here. The, the birds singing in the tree that was the gift from the elves of the west uh, where was the white tree supposed to be planted do we ever told else i mean is it in armenalos or is it in mental tarma or where is it it's in armenalos yeah yeah king's court you know i'm beginning to think this is the same tree all right i'm gonna i'm gonna try and do some research we'll see if what other people think about this because it's it's not again tolkien didn't write this is the tree of the this is the white tree this is nimloth he never said that so we don't know but maybe right. maybe other folks have, have have thought about it i wanted to bring up one more thing unless you have something else about nope. aaron decent here and that's something you said last week about her similarity to luthien in here and so one of the things that's me right here is when uh he talks about aaron Deese at the wedding uh and after the elves came that's good and one. He writes, but the people of Andunye, looking upon the blissful company, said that none were more fair than Erendis, and they said that her eyes were as bright as they were of Morwen Elidwin of old, or even as those of Avalone. Hey, look, Avalone, right there. The elves that have come, the, what's the place he references? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, but, but, um, but that's, that's them. Hmm. Those of I Avalone. Guess, yeah, uh, I guess. yeah, okay. In any I, case. I, I don't There's know if they're referring to yeah. those of Avalonia of old or, or yeah. the one or if they're, but you're, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. You, oh, yeah. you're right. Okay. So here's, here's my point is that um, er, earlier he says, uh, right. She, she was fair right here. He says she was, none were more fair than Erendis and that her eyes were as bright as were the eyes of Morin Elidwin of old. And so I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds like what he how he described Luthien with fair skin, obviously very white, very pale. And bright eyes and, and dark hair and dark hair. And then I, 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 in his letter 340 to his son Christopher after Edith had passed away, his wife, he said to this, uh, in, in reference to how, when he first came upon her in 1917, dancing in that glade among the hemlock, uh, small white flowers, right? That's, that's how, that's the vision he had of her. And he wrote this in those days, her hair was raven, her skin clear, her eyes brighter than you have seen them. And she could sing and dance. 
And right there, the two words that he uses to describe her are fair skin and bright eyes. And here, the two words that he uses to describe Erendis are fair and bright-eyed. And I thought that that seems a little bit more than a coincidence, particularly this late in his life. He wrote this, um, that was letter 340 was when. That, when did his wife die? It was soon after this. 71. Yes, that's right. Okay, so five years after this. And um, yeah, 71, two years before he passed. So there is, I, I feel like there's, and we'll talk about this more with what Harrison uh, put up in our uh, Discord chats about his relationship with Eden, Eden, <laughs> with Edith as Aldarian's relationship with Erendis. But it, there is a similarity that you pointed out last week, not only between Luthien and Erendis, but Luthien and Edith and Erendis and Edith. And I don't think right. that's a coincidence. I don't either. I And the bright eyes, if you remember too, from our previous reading last week, were referenced also by Aldarian, who says that the only problem he has with, with the diamond that he gave her mm. is that she put it too close to her eyes. And so that's the right. beauty of the diamond was dimmed by the brightness of her eyes. And so, so there's, I mean, he's, this bright eye thing is a real, um, is a real staple for Tolkien in terms of uh, womanly beauty. And, yeah. and I, I do think there's, an autobiographical edge to it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get into that. Let's get into our extended podcast for all of those wonderful members that we have, <laughs> including our sponsors, Harrison, Adam, Lynn, and Rich. We appreciate you guys, but we appreciate all your members too. If you are a freeloader, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can join us on our Discord uh, on a limited subset of channels. I'm sorry. You, you can't get it all, but you can get some. Uh, just click the link below in the uh, show notes. And uh, or I guess below, I th say that as YouTube, but click the links in the show notes where you swipe left or right or up or down in your podcast app and you'll get there too. So it will be go. the first link we put there. So you just click on that, create a Discord account. I know a lot of you who listen um, are, aren't up on Discord, but Discord is a great way to communicate easily. You can put the app on you. Once you have an account on Discord, you throw the app on, um, you click the link, you can download the app, you can set up your account. It's super easy. Um, and, you know, you get used to it. It's got its own little culture around it, but it's a great way of just chatting for free, of getting people. We do, we'll do our, I haven't done it in a couple months because, well, family issues and going to California and Pennsylvania and things that I had to do. But we'll do another um, in-person video session uh, on uh, Discord again, too. So we can do all that there. Join us in Discord, guys. But we're going to start talking more about how much of this is autobiographical? How much of this really was Tolkien writing a little bit more? Because remember, and, and I love something I want to talk about later too, is this is prose that he wrote near the end of his life after he had written everything already, right? So this is mm. kind of like almost a culmination piece of how, uh, maybe that's why I like this so much because his expertise and craft story around the cosmology and the history that he'd created is second to none in anything else he written, he wrote when it came to prose. And I don't know how much of this is, is Christopher Tolkien rewriting some of it or bringing it together, but I think it's, it's reaching a peak that he didn't even necessarily of prose that he didn't even necessarily reach in the Lord of the Rings for much of it. So, um, but we get so little of this here. I mean, we do, we get, we get 60 pages of it and we do not get, uh, you know, a full thousand pages from, from right. the Lord of the Rings. So, uh, all right, guys, we're going to jump into it. We'll see you on the other side. Goodbye, freeloaders. Sorry, I, I don't. I know. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I have to apologize for Michael. He does it every time.